When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. That Manchester scene that you you kind of came into there, you had the Stone Roses, Happy Mondays, New Order, had, uh, you know, fantastic band, the Smiths as well were iconic kind of uh, indie band, weren't they? They were you all mates or were you all competitors? How did that work? You, you end up knowing some people at some bands uh, better than others. Uh, very rarely would all the you know you'd have a get together with with another band unless you were doing a gig or a festival together, but. Of the bands of that era, we very rarely played together. Um, I know we supported the Stormwater a couple of times, but it's before we got going, really. Then we did tour with James in 89, but we didn't really sort of hang out with them as such. And, and you, you, you potentially are competitors, but it's not like the league table, is it, where uh, you know you buy a top spot at the end of the season. We'd go to America for five weeks and then come home, and then before you, you, know, you, you hear that, the Charlatans have gone to America and then the farm had been in America. Um, so you don't really sort of see it as a competition, really, but like you, you're all vying to the chart, your singles and your albums to get as high as possible in the chart. But it's not, it's not really, I've never really viewed it as a, never seen it as a competition as such, really. The Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter, at tvsportsblog. I was watching the video, but was it England against South Africa? You came out in one of the intervals and, and played on a stage at Old Trafford Cricket Ground. That, 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 yeah. must, that must be quite good for you. Yeah, uh, it's, it's funny I was playing at the Cricket Ground because obviously it's a little bit of a thing for me. Obviously, really, well, a really big thing for me, but we've actually played the uh, Old Trafford about five times in all different places at Old Trafford. Like there was a festival called the Moose Festival, which was uh, which ran on the cricket ground for several years back in the early two thousands or the mid two thousands. And we played on a stage on the pitch at that festival with Feeder were on, Charlatans might have been on that day as well. And 
Um, Dave Garner, Depeche Mode, he was on doing a solo gig. So we played on many days. We played at the England v South Africa 2020 game. I kind of, we, we were touring in 2012 quite extensively. And then the 2020 game was coming up against South Africa. And I badgered the marketing guy at the club to let us play. You know when they play music at 2020 games when somebody hits the boundary or the end of the overall yeah, when yeah. someone's out? I said, let us do our songs in the interval, you know, between all of us. We'd do a gig in the interval, and then every time everyone hit a four or a wicket, we'd do part of certain songs. Like if someone was out, we'd play the chorus of Dragging Me Down, or if somebody was out for a, a, a duck, we'd play This Is How It Feels To Be Lonely. Uh, we'd play the <laughs> chorus as they were walking off. Um, so a great idea, but because it rained, we ended up doing a full gig, uh, but the stage was set up right at the um, uh, on the boundary's edge. <laughs> so we, we did a gig, and it's in the area when uh, Graham Swan was playing for England. So they were warming up, but it started to rain. So we, we just carried on doing the gig, and Graham Swan was stood there watching us along with like, a lot of other fans who'd come out of the stands and just stood on the on the pitch on the boundary edge where we were. But then it rained that heavy that we had to stop playing because the instruments were getting all wet and everything. But by the time it stopped raining and then they played the game, everything was too wet for us to do the playing between the orbs and when somebody was out. But yeah, that was quite exciting. That It was quite an interesting day. That would have been really good because they, they did a, something similar to that, didn't they, in the World Cup last year where they had a guitarist kind of doing a, a riff at, at a certain That's times. Right. Yeah, but the, I've never seen a band actually playing part of their, their famous tracks all the way through the, through a T20. Yeah, but it, it, I'd, I'd gone through a back catalogue of, of the sort of bigger songs and, and worked out which, which bits and particular choruses had worked for certain things where, like, you know, if it, if it went to the third umpire, we should play... Um, <laughs> The chorus, she comes in the fall because that as you should learn to uh, walk before you crawl. It, it just kind of works, works into, you know, uh, waiting for the decision of the third umpire. And then, like, if, uh, if somebody was out for naught, play this out fields. Or, uh, so we had it all teed up, Red Scott. So I'd obviously be watching the cricket and see what was going on. And then I'd, I was going to shout to the band saying, right, let's play the chorus of I Want You. And then they'd play, we'd play the chorus of I Want You for 30 seconds and then, and then stop playing, you know. But yeah, we we were there first. <laughs> What's your best memories of cricket? If I, if you can maybe pick one, two, or three where you thought, well, that, that was that was a special day. Where would you take me back to? Ooh, um, yeah, cr- cricket memories. I was actually at the 1976 England v West Indies Test at Old Trafford on the Saturday night when Holding and uh, Roberts were peppering Nedrich and Claw oh. um, for an hour. And I've got that in a scorebook. That probably is the cricket number one memory. But it was breathtaking. It was dangerous. It was scary. Um, and Michael, we were behind where Michael Alden was bowling from, and just watching him walking back to his run-up. And it, the cliche is he was pushing off the sight screen, as, as people have said um, about fast bowlers. He really, it felt like he really was setting off with his heels on the boundary rope and, and just to watch that it was it was brilliant because especially that England actually didn't lose a wicket that night but they were, they were getting hammered and I've since watched it on video well I've got a DVD of, of what's been kicking around of highlights and stuff and it, it was eye-opening and it was pure theatre um, that's definitely my probably my favourite moment and then um, there's, there's that the over time, you know, sorry there's that over that holding bowls to close and there's the, it's, I've watched that video on YouTube so many times you know no helmet 
no chest guard, no nothing. And, no. you know, after the game, I think he showed his chest with bruises all over it. He just, just wearing the ball and it was missing his nose by a millimetre, wasn't it? It was, it was incredible stuff. I know, it's funny to, as well, as reading into that as well afterwards, that they were blaming the pitch for um, for it being inconsistent, but there's a lot been written about it. And then obviously there was the Tony Gregg comment. Mm. I was thinking about this the other day when I, I, I had a feeling we'd end up talking about this test match. Even as a kid, and obviously with what's current, what's currently going on in the moment, you know, the backdrop. But even as a kid, I knew when Tony Gregg said what he'd said, even as a 12-year-old kid, that he, he, they were going to make them grow up. Definitely didn't feel right, but I, as a 12 year old, I could never explain why it didn't feel right saying that. But you cannot think of it, so was England's captain saying that, and then saying that about the West Indies. And even as a kid, I knew that thinking, God, that might really rile them to, <laughs> to try in that little bit harder, you know. And um, sure enough, <laughs> I saw it with my own eyes. Well, there were two sides to that comment, weren't there? There was the the politically yeah. insensitive side and the basically racist side of it. And there was the, you don't want to get these guys angry because these guys bowl oh. fast enough as it is and they're going to absolutely knock your heads off. And they came over with a point to prove, didn't they? Yeah, and I think I think now I, 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 it feels to me that, that that was a turning point in cricket, cricket spin that I, I've never really noticed anybody be say anything like that in cricket because it obviously it was politically insensitive but it's firing up the opposition by by saying you're going to run them into the ground or whatever i've never really noticed particularly an england captain say anything like that they've only been anything but really diplomatic when they've been talking about the opposition like andrew strauss you know it's probably the classic gentleman England captain really, wasn't he, Andrew Strauss? And, and, you know, and even Flintoff, you know, he's obviously a, a hero of ours in Old Trafford, that he never said anything derogatory, to my knowledge, about the opposition that might potentially, like, fire them up, you know. Just mind the windows, Tino, at Laws that day. That was, that was, that was brilliant. Yeah, but that's... That, <laughs> no, that's, that's just bouncing. That, yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I love all that as well, like, when things get caught on the cricket, cricket stump, or what, the conversations cricket, I, I love all that about... It, the inside of, you know, what, what's crossing the line about what you can say to the opposition because a lot of the time you, you can inadvertently just fire them up, can't you? Especially as a batsman, there's two batsmen out there and you just can't answer that, can you? Because they've got the ball. You know? well, what was, what's great about that comment that Freddie made that day was that um, Tino Best, who obviously got out next ball, wasn't it, when he tried to smack it into the windows in the Lord's Pavilion. He came and played yeah. uh, for a season at, at Yorkshire and I can remember talking to him about that and he thought it was brilliant. Absolutely thought it was brilliant because he got as, almost as no as much notoriety from that one comment that somebody else made as he did from his performances that summer. And he ended up calling his uh, autobiography "Mind the Windows," Tino, I think, or something along those lines. So <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he kind of dines out on it a little bit. Obviously, a fine bowler in his own right, but yeah, so some things like that are funny and really contribute to the fabric of the game. Other things, like you say, come back and bite you, and that Tony Gregg comment certainly did. But I interrupted you, Graham, because you were going to tell me about some of the other favourite moments you had in cricket. I never went to the Lord's final, but I watched all the Lord's final of Lancashire uh, when well, we've had several waves of good teams. But 1990, we won the Benton Edges and Nat West one-day finals. And watching both of those, especially with the backdrop of the band doing really well at the time as well, and, it, and Oldham football or sport uh, we were playing really well at the time. We'd been to the Littlewoods final and the semi-final of the FA Cup. It felt like all, all the areas, all the interests in my life were all doing really well, you know. You know, watching 
Lancashire pick up those two trophies that year. That was that was really exciting and quite a big thing as well. I've never been to I haven't been to many test matches um, at Old Trafford for one thing reason or another. I've ended up not going. Probably well, the golden moments uh, watching Fowler. Well, not watching, but listening to Fowler get his double hundred in India, and then uh, another like several golden moments. I mean, just watching Alistair Cook back. Because just absolute legend, and he just you know I don't want to belittle his contribution to England cricket, but you know he he was never as flamboyant as Peterson, but his record stood up next to Peterson's, uh, and it just shows you that when you're having a team, you you need your flair players, and then you need your hard, fearless grafters at the top of the order, you know, in cricket. And yeah, I've watched been sat in my lounge, with my feet up in the chair, watching Alistair Cook for hours on end, watching him live. Used to love watching him, but um, I read the other day as well that he's got five Test hundreds in India. I mean, how good is that? Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? He, he's the perfect example, isn't he? Of uh, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. Because uh, I think everybody just took him for granted. He often got slated for for the odd drop in in form, and oh, you should drop him, you should drop him, and all this kind of stuff. But he was just incredible, and you know his record speaks for itself. You mentioned Peterson as well, and you know you look around the world. I can remember watching Lara and Ponting and stuff like that. Yeah, sometimes you have to just pinch yourself and think, right, just soak this up because these guys are special. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? But that's got because you're always going to have bad spells. Like you know, there's times when Alice Cook would have a bad year with the bat, but He's still uh, a, a man mounting, walking out the top of the innings, left-handers, six-foot-odd tall, no arm guard, not a massive array of shots, but just just absolute man mounting, wasn't he? The, thing, the, thing, the, the, thing, the thing with Alistair Cook is his bad year was as, probably as good as uh, most people's best year that have tried to replace him since. It's uh, you know, yeah. His standard was very, very high indeed, wasn't it? Definitely. And one of those rare cases as well where his career, if I remember rightly, his record, his average improved once he became captain, which is quite rare. It felt like Flintoff's form took a bit of a dip with, with his three spell of captain. And obviously going back a bit further, Ian Botham obviously didn't cut it when he was made skipper, but obviously it fired him up, losing the skipper's armband, fired him up to be a probably elongated his test career. Fed up of collecting your team's matchday subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk. Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. slateapp.co.uk best moments in music then if you could take me back to maybe a couple of days in your music career where you thought right this this is fantastic we, we've cracked it the, the number one moment in music for me was uh i'll give you the date i'll give you the time it was two minutes past 10 on the 6th of july 1988 uh, i was on holiday with my girlfriend what is now my wife karen we we're on holiday in ardwell in a remote part of scotland southwest point and i was listening to john peel and i said to karen i'm going to record it in case John Peel plays our single, he'd been sent our first single, which is me people called Plane Crash. And he started his show with uh, the main song, which is a song called Keep the Circle Around. So he played that at the start of his show. Uh, that was my number one moment. It, it'll never be better, no matter what happens from here on in in music. I've been a massive John Peel fan for 10 years. He was really he was hugely important, wasn't he, for bands that were trying to kind of break through and make it because his show was listened to by people like me, I guess, who were kind of working out what to buy and what to listen to and where to go with our music listening. And he, he framed a, 
a generation's music taste. And if you got played by him, it was a major, major push, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and the interesting thing as well is it, it, it didn't mean anything in the slightest financially that John Peel played our records. It, it probably like be £10 in PRS payments for whoever wrote the song. But, but the fact that if John Peel thought we were credible enough to be on his show, I often use the phrase, uh, we had to pick up the goalposts and relocate them that night because that, for me, you know, if, if nothing else happened in music, for me, after that, I could be sat here now talking to you about cricket. And if that would have happened in my life, it, the only thing that happened in music in my life, it it would be, it'd be fine, you know, because um, it just was a golden moment. In those days, you used to get the magazines with the CDs attached to the front, didn't you? Or the, you know, and, and you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd basically get a, an assortment of bands that you'd never heard of, and you'd listen through to them. And um, yeah, you'd, you'd maybe get a, a little fella somewhere listening, oh, Inspiral Carpets, or buy their album, that track sounds good. So those things mattered back then, didn't they? Yeah. Well, we, we'd had just before that, in, well, in 87, we'd talking of giving away things free. There was a very cool arts magazine done in Manchester called Debris, which was a fanzine, but it was a very like uh, highbrow-looking fanzine. And that get, they gave away a flexi-disc with every issue that came out. And we'd been on the flexi-disc on, on the Debris magazine in back in, I think it was about March 87 when that came out. And that was like fantastic that, you know, do you remember flexi-discs are really like plasticky, yeah. foldable records? And, and he, that was a great you know, feeling to have been on a, be given away free on a, as a flexi disc. You see, the kids today um, don't, don't know what they're missing, do they? <laughs> well, things go in cycles, and, and I've seen when we've done the listening parties this, during this lockdown, we've been having the band stuff pops up, and I've seen stuff popping up on eBay that people are buying them flexi discs for fifty pounds. So, so people, or you might say the kids out there with record players, could play that flexi disc. So, and it's a really rare artifact. I think I've got one copy somewhere somewhere in the house it's a real uh, thing to, to have you know and like i said people pay 50 quid for it you know the, the one there a t-shirt as well you had a t-shirt with a, a slogan on the front and yeah the uh, cool as t-shirt yeah and the uh, as cool as f asterisk c k listeners you can work it out Some, yeah didn't somebody get take wear it to school one day and get suspended from school or something and that became national news and all of a sudden you know you, you kind of got quite cool off the end off the back of that yeah i think that was somewhere in Oxford, um, where that happened to them. But uh, was, I think they might have just been walking down the street with it or something, and the, some, a policeman or woman saw them and uh, hauled them in and fined them or something. But, yeah, I mean, you get a bit of notoriety from that. We'd always try and put the pointer back towards the music. You know, I mean, that was just a slogan we came up with for the, the carriage head, smoking a, a cigarette with swirly eyes, you know, in, which kind of captured feeling of, uh, Manchester in the in 1990 in the summer of 1990 and yeah we we sold a fair few of those shirts but, but yeah we, we'd always try and you know be hopeful and we claim we're more famous for our music and for, for many people as having no Gallagher as a roadie. <laughs> to get a band that's successful is fantastic at, at any stage but to get a band that's successful at that time in Manchester where everything was ticking off and Manchester became almost like the centre of the world for music didn't it? At, at one stage that that must have been quite special did you realise the significance at the time? The short answer to your question is no, um, you don't really realise the significance, but it's only looking back, you know, like what is now 30 years later, where you're thinking, actually, uh, it was mad, wasn't it? There was Stone Roses, Tatum Mondays, Us, and the Charlatans, James, uh, you'd also had New Order, well, before that, Joy Division, 
and Buzzcocks. Bancom Magazine, who had a massive influence on us. And New Order, obviously huge, internationally successful band of the Smiths. It's just when you look back, you think, God, Manchester always has had fantastic, like, cool bands. You know, 10CC, um, you know, it, it, there's always been really interesting bands coming from Manchester. Um, but then to have three bands who were all in the charts at the same time, who were all, like, young lads, football fans, rave fans, but who did this music that was influenced by garage soul, you know, influenced by the punk movement. You know, it was a really exciting time, but I didn't really feel it at the time. It just felt like, oh, right, we're going to Europe for two weeks, right? I'll, you know, say bye to, you know, our girlfriends and wives and then say, oh, but from Europe, we're going to America for two weeks, so we'll see you in five weeks' time. You, you just you just get on the treadmill and go for it, you know, and it, it was a great time. You know, we had five full-time years of really enjoyable traveling around the world, playing music, meeting people, you know, swimming in the sea in, I don't know, America and, you know, going up the Eiffel Tower in the middle of winter in Paris, you know, just, uh, just yeah, just went for it. Being in Japan on bullet trains, it, it was a good, good, uh, good times. We mentioned you setting up the band with uh, your friend from school, Stephen. Obviously, he wasn't there when the, the record deal was signed. You had Tom Hingley came into the band as the lead singer. Then Tom, Tom left, didn't he? And Stephen's come back in. Came back in. Was that quite nice to get kind of your old mate back? In? Not not trying to dismiss yeah. Tom's contribution, but Stephen coming back must have been quite pleasant. No, uh, you know Tom's contribution is is there for all to see and hear and. and uh, you know, it's been a privilege to be in the band with two uh, good friends and brilliant singers. Um, Stephen did. Uh, we made the first two singles with Stephen, and then his his life was a bit complicated, and he, he just he kind of just did fancy it, which was at the time was really frustrating to me. But now looking back, it, it was quite amazing, really, that he he just saw it within himself that he just didn't fancy being part of this band that could you know, set off on some mad journey where there was no given sort of uh, perceived where it might end sort of thing. So he just didn't fancy it. Then we got Tom in, who was in a fellow Manchester band called Too Much Texas, uh, who looked a bit like Stephen, which is quite, quite interesting. Um, bit of a different singer, um, but, you know, really good guy, contributed well. Uh, and then, obviously, we made four albums with Tom, which all went really well. And, you know, we had, I think we had... 13 top 40 hits I think but Tom wanted to do solo stuff and we weren't doing anything and there was no kind of vibe there to do anything so Tom decided to, to leave which which at the time was disappointing but he, it was his decision so I'd never I'd never tried to get to change his mind. Uh, within a few months, I bumped into Stephen and said, oh, do you fancy coming back because Tom was left and we picked it up again with Stephen uh, we did a hundred odd gigs with Stephen and made an album as well. Which talking of cricket uh, and the nineteen seventy six test, uh, I'll point you to the track on our last album, which is called In Spiral Carpet. There's a track on there called Changes, which was written the words written by me about going as a twelve year old to watch England v West Indies at Old Trafford. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, so it was great. And then, but sadly, in twenty sixteen, we lost Craig, our drummer, passed away, which was tragic. And we haven't done anything since, really. So it's it's kind of hard to imagine that we will pick it up again because uh, it's just such a big loss. But uh, but if we don't, you know, it's all there in records and in prints and interviews and stuff. That what we did, you know, and we had a we had a good time, and I wouldn't change a thing really. How it panned out, but up to Craig dying, you know, wouldn't uh, wouldn't change a thing. 
That that was horrible, wasn't it, Craig? Uh, he, he took his own life. He suffering from tinnitus, wasn't he, for quite a long time in his life? Uh, you know, from playing the drums, and you'd known him since he yeah. was fourteen. So that must have been a tough t- tough to take. Yeah, it, it's been with us for um, thirty years, which um, you know is a long time, and, and it's obviously a massive loss. And you know, he's obviously as well as being a brilliant drummer and a really important part of the band, obviously a really good friend of all of ours as well. You know, and, um, yeah, it's quite tragic, really. You know, and it's it's just. I guess in a way it's probably made us all realise there's more important things to you know like arguing about how songs should go in in a in a practice room and working these songs out or re- rehearsing old songs. It just probably just feels like it just won't be the same. Well, it obviously won't be the same without him. And we've never even really spoke about it uh, between the four of us about are we even picking it up again? You know, we've not even had that conversation. You know, it's just everyone just carried on with their own lives. You know, and you know just. Uh, leave history to uh, to to judge us how good or bad we were, you know, from what we from uh, the product or the output that we did. We mentioned a little bit before, but the, the sound that you had was a little bit different to some of the other Manchester bands because you had the keyboard and you talked about Flint Boom being your, your star number three batsman or whatever. But his kind yeah. of his keyboard, the little kind of jingly bits that came into the various tunes that you did, were very important to that sound. Was that something that you really sat down and thought about, or has that just come naturally from it? More of a natural thing, but I think what I want with bands that your personalities come through in, in in your musical style or what you do, and Clint's a big personality and, and a really, obviously, fantastic keyboard player, and uh, not just content to, to just pad out a song with a few chords here and there. He, he's, he's a melody person, you know, he's a melody man. So he, he come up a lot of time with the melodies and... Um, you know, backing vocal ideas and even vocal ideas for songs that even he didn't write. Come up with sort of vocal ideas for for Stephen and then for Tom and then for Stephen again. So you know, he, he is a tune a tunes man. You know, but um, I'm sure you know, you know Clint couldn't have done it on his own without the other four. You know, whoever the other four may have been. <laughs> Either you know, sometimes it was with Stephen, sometimes it was with Tom. You know, we we it's all a team effort really and. From a strong sporting background myself, I, I'm only fully aware of how how a band operates as a team, or it it just can't operate properly in my view. That we we've all got to come at it from from the same angle, like, and uh, you know it works. It works having Clint doing a lot of the melody, you know, and having a, a strong rhythm section. So there there will be no inspiral carpets ever again. I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about. Craig's death and stuff like that, but yet you got no passion to bring that back at all, or is that that's just something that you're going to look back with look back with pride on. It's hard to say, really. It, it certainly no passion's not isn't possibly how I'd how I'd phrase it. Um, we're obviously all massively passionate about what we've done and what we've achieved. It's just trying to do it again with a massive piece of the jigsaw missing. Mm. Kind of just doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Yet, I wouldn't, I'd never say never, but it's like I said, we've never really sat down and discussed it face to face. Are we going to give it another go? It's just not been not been an option really. And um, like I said, everyone's sort of been doing their own things and has been breathing away. Like Clint does a lot of DJing and Martin's busy with the, quite a few different projects he's involved with. So it possibly feels as something that we used to do when we were a bit younger. Who knows? Who knows? But time will tell. You, you, you'll hear about it if we are, if we ever do plan to do anything. You're still picking up the guitar. What, what are you doing these days, apart from walking your dog? 
Um, I, uh, I work for a music promoter called SJM Concerts. I've done a lot of work with them on and off over the years since the band first put up in 95. And then we it turned out we'd reform roughly about every three years to do some shows. And then in 2014, we made an album. So I've been working for SJM Concerts. But obviously, in the current situation, everything's been put on hold for quite a while now. It's it's really hard to imagine when the next concerts will be. So just potting along, doing bits and bobs of paperwork and strumming the guitar a little bit, which is something I didn't do for quite a while after Craig passed away. I just didn't really have an appetite for it. But recently I've picked it up and been having an odd little um, tickle with it. And yeah, just listening to music and waiting for cricket to start. <laughs> Final question, Graham, and thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on the Cricket Badger podcast. Right. Um, thank you for having me. It's been great. We have uh, a day coming up where we know that everything's going to return and you have tickets for three things, Oldham's football match, Lancashire's cricket match or a rock concert that you really fancy going to. Which one do you actually take up and which two tickets do you pass on to a mate? <laughs> That's a nasty question. <laughs> um, so, so we'll, we'll take it that uh, the band we want to see is Arctic Monkeys because they're possibly my current favourite band who are, who are still touring, for, although not at the moment. Or a Lancashire game, or a—I mean, in all reality, they're not all going to happen on the same day. <laughs> but believe you me, I'm the master of—I'd get to all three because obviously the cricket had started in the morning, um, or it had run on into the evening. So, oh, that's a nasty question. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You could—you so, you could maybe go and see the first session of the cricket, then go and see the football, then go and see the Arctic Monkeys, couldn't you? I'll—I'll I'll give you an out there. Yeah, I think. I, I honestly think that is how I'd, how I'd deal with it because I've waited so long for, for you know, Oldham were on a bit of a roll when they, when we got to, when we're in the middle of March. The last two games, uh, they've won 3-1 and 5-0, the last two games I've seen them. So we, by our standards, we, we were in form. So it'd be a shame to miss out on, on a continuation of that. A Red Bull game at Old Trafford, like, uh, I'm, I'm going to either walk there or cycle there on the first day of the uh, Actually, bear in mind the ground's 15 miles from where we live. Um, I'm that keen to go. And, and then an Arctic Monkeys gig, well, I was so desperate to see some live music that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to have to disappoint to, to cop out, but I would attend all three in the same day. They're good live as well, the Arctic Monkeys. I've seen them a couple of times. They, uh, good live act. That's, that's important, oh, isn't brilliant. it? To, yeah, live music is important and live sport's important and that's what we all want to see and that's what we're all missing, isn't it? Yeah, so we've missed it massively and, you know, it's very important. And, and it's for the likes of yourselves doing podcasts, which is just keeping keeping the vibe going. And, you know, long may they continue once we're back up and running, you know. I found it really weird, you know, um, just to finish off, Graham, when you said to me on the message, um, I've listened to some of your podcasts, great work. And I thought, there's a guy here that played guitar in the Inspired Carpets that I've listened to for years on end who's telling me that he's listening to me. That that was a really kind of surreal moment, and I really appreciated that message. It was it was, it was was very nice, because yeah. I've really, I, you know, I've, I've loved music all my life, and I've listened to a lot of, uh, you know, indie stuff was my thing when I was, a, when I was younger. Um, and things, yeah, that Manchester scene and the Inspired Carpets were hugely important to me. Yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I've seen a few things on Twitter, you know, even just this last few days where people like Tim Burgess at the Charlotte and the, he does his, he does his listening parties. And yeah. um, when, when he speaks about politics or whatever, and occasionally people give him grief. And it just makes me laugh at that because just because he's in a band doesn't mean so that he doesn't have a point of view about other things other than music. And it's same same for sport. You know, it's like 
I just, you know, I don't turn up at Old Trafford for a four-day game thinking, right, where's, where's my box and where's my, where's my free drink? I, I, I'm just one of the crowd. I, you know, pay my way, I'd go and sit there and have my own little pack of lunch and get the shirt off, get my shoes and socks off, sit there with my feet over the seat. And I'll just drop into conversation with um, whoever's there because because there'll be 200 of us or 1,000 of us at Old Trafford watching cricket. And we've all got, wherever we've been in our lives, whatever we've done, whatever we've, we want to do, we've all got one thing in common. We've all uh, like turned up for the day, paid our way, and we're all sat there in the sun watching Lancashire V, whoever. So whatever we've done, we've got this one thing in common, that we, we love cricket or else we wouldn't be there, you know. Well, Graham, hopefully there's a sunny day to come and I'll come and tap you on the shoulder, interrupt your scoring and say hello to you. We're actually at our cricket ground in person. But until then, thank you very much for being on the Cricket Badger podcast today. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'll, uh, yeah, if we play you in the Rosie's four-day game, I might see you at Headingley if, um, if you're free. <laughs> well, I'll always be free. I'll always make time because, uh, yeah, as I said, it's, uh, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be really good to see you. Yeah. All right, well, thanks for having us on all the the podcast. Keep up the good work. Just coming there off the end of that uh, snippet of changes by Inspiral Carpets, the song that Graham mentioned about his time watching England against the West Indies in the 1970s. Absolute pleasure to talk to Graham Lambert on this edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Thank you so much to him for his time in joining me on the show. As I said at the start of this podcast, I could have talked to him for days on end about music and cricket, two of my greatest loves. Thanks to TV Sports Blog for their support of the podcast. Give them a follow on Twitter at TV Sports Blog. Take a look at Brit Hop Brewing Company Limited, BritHopBeer.com. Combining beer and music and cricket, which makes sense, doesn't it, really? And hopefully you've enjoyed this edition of the Famous Fans Podcast as much as I've enjoyed recording it. Hopefully it gives you the incentive to tune in next time for more cricket chat on the Cricket Badger Podcast. Getting some great guests on through lockdown. And this isn't just a podcast for lockdown. This podcast will carry on. We got past 150. Now we're heading towards 200. And it won't be the same unless you joined me on it as well. If you feel so inclined, please give it a like and a subscribe. And leave a nice comment on whatever podcast platform you listen to the Cricket Badger podcast on. Give us a follow on Twitter as well, at Cricket underscore Badger. And Cricket Badger's everywhere, with cricket approaching again. We might see some on our screens very, very soon indeed, England against the West Indies. Plenty to look forward to as we go through the remainder of this English summer. So join me again next time when we have more great cricket chat on the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network.